Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 118. Apple Watch is a bridge to the future. Hi, I'm Neil. I recently visited my local Apple store. I was at the mall, and whenever I'm at the mall, there's always a couple of stores I like to visit, such as the Apple store, the Disney store, and the Lego store. These are companies that are in brick and mortar retail, but they're selling more than just product. They're trying to sell an experience. And so I'm very interested in seeing how they're trying to push those experiences forward. And when I was in the Apple store, something seemed different. It was actually difficult to get up close to the Apple Watch tables. And so I took a closer look at what was going on here. I didn't know, were these people just sort of waiting to get their products fixed? Sometimes you go into an Apple store and you need help. An employee will tell you, oh, just go stand near that table. But they weren't just standing around. They were actually trying on different Apple Watches, both different models and also the bands, and they were buying Apple Watches. And it actually brought back memories when the first iPad came out. And you had people just really intrigued by this product. And the thing that really jumped out at me is if you go back two years, there weren't crowds around the Apple Watch tables. In fact, the lack of crowds was a talking point as to maybe Apple misfired here with the Apple Watch. Maybe this product just is not catching with the mainstream. Something is changing when it comes to the way people are thinking about Apple Watch. Now, maybe my observation was a one-off. Maybe if I went to other Apple stores, the Apple Watch tables would be empty. Maybe I just hit it at the right time, the right day. I don't think so. I don't think my Apple store observation was an isolated incident. More people are buying Apple Watches these days. How do we know that? We can look at Apple management commentary. During the three quarters leading up to Apple's most recent holiday quarter, Apple Watch unit sales were up at least 50% year over year. Now, if you have an earnings model and you're tracking Apple Watch sales on a quarterly basis, so if you're keeping track of all of these clues, helpful clues, by the way, that we're getting from Apple management, you're getting a pretty good look at how Apple Watch is selling. From a unit sales perspective, Apple Watch sales are trending at a little less than 20 million units on an annual basis. This means that the Apple Watch business is currently about the size of the Mac business. Consider that the Apple Watch is less than three years old. So for it to be nearly outselling Mac on an annual basis, I think that is a big deal. We could go even further. And I think this is going to come as a surprise to many people. I think Apple Watch likely outsold Amazon Echo during the holiday season. And the Apple Watch was able to do that despite selling for nearly 10 times more money than Amazon Echo. Over at AboveAvalon.com in this week's article, I included one chart that highlights my expectations for where Apple Watch, Mac, and iPad unit sales will trend over the next few years. And I picked those three product categories because I think something interesting is going to happen very soon. On an annual basis, Apple Watch sales will surpass Mac sales in 2018. 
And if you go out a couple more years, I think the sales gap between iPad and Apple Watch, it's going to shrink. So the Apple Watch is gaining sales momentum. One question that this raises is, are we looking at momentum just with Apple Watch? Or is the broader wrist wearables market starting to connect with people? Are consumers looking at a wide range of wrist wearables and saying, yeah, I'm interested in that? Upon closer examination, I actually don't think there is a wrist wearables market. Instead, there is only an Apple Watch market. We can go down the list. Android Wear, complete non-factor. Samsung, Fossil, they've been able to sell some things, some product, but they haven't been able to put all of the pieces together. Companies like Garmin actually have been able to carve out a particular niche for itself, for Garmin, it's endurance sports, but there really is no obvious path for how Garmin will be able to broaden that appeal to the mainstream. I just don't see it. And then, of course, you have the former leader of wrist wearables, Fitbit. I think the company is quickly fading away. When I was at the mall, the way I parked, I actually had to walk through Macy's, and I walked through the watch section. And you could see Samsung, Fossil, Garmin, Fitbit. They were all there. Plenty of stock, plenty of inventory. It was a ghost town. And I think it just ended up showing that, well, on one side of the mall, you have people who are actually buying wrist wearables. That may come as a surprise to many people in the tech industry. But that success, that momentum, it's really just found with Apple. You just don't see many other companies seeing anything in terms of growth when it comes to wrist wearable sales. I ask myself a question. Why is Apple Watch sales momentum growing? Why is this category doing better? My theory is that consumers are starting to see a place for Apple Watch in their lives. That may seem very simple, but it's very important. We can look at Apple's revised Apple Watch marketing campaign. It's been all health, fitness. I think that's certainly led to a clear sales pitch. A lot of people who maybe at first were asking, what is this device for? Who is Apple targeting with Apple Watch? Well, they now have answers. I think the health and fitness messaging that's around Apple Watch, it ends up being Apple's way to get its wrist in the door. I think that's an important phrase. The battle here is for your wrist. But I don't think people are just buying and using Apple Watch for its health and fitness monitoring features. There is something more going on here. Close to 20 million people bought an Apple Watch in 2017 because I think the device has become a bridge between the present and future. By including a screen, the Apple Watch is able to retain the familiarity found with smartphones, tablets, laptops, and desktops. But at the same time, Apple Watch is giving wearers a glimpse of this future that includes artificial intelligence, voice, digital assistance, and smart sensors. All of those items are coming together to produce a new kind of experience.
we're witnessing nothing short of a revolution with Apple Watch. In fact, the Apple Watch holds the potential to become more disruptive to the current computing paradigm than I think Apple may even want to acknowledge. And we're starting to see this as time goes on. What is the Apple Watch? We often hear, well, it's health and fitness, it's this and that. But at a fundamental level, what is this device? I think it is a product that's designed to pick the low-hanging fruit from the iPhone and iPad trees. The Apple Watch is designed to handle the relatively simple use cases that we give iPhone and iPad, such as receiving notifications, checking the time and weather, tracking our daily activity. Apple Watch is able to handle those use cases by approaching touchscreens in a very unique way. Apple Watch is designed for glances and not prolonged viewing or watching. And I think this is a very big deal with implications that are only now starting to become visible. For companies with business models that are based on grabbing as much of our attention as possible, I don't think Apple Watch is a preferred revolution. No one is looking at Apple Watch saying, yes, please, bring it on. I think that's one reason why Android Wear, it's failed to really go anywhere. There just isn't incentive for Google to put Android on the wrist. In fact, I think the Apple Watch will probably be quite disruptive to even Apple's existing ecosystem. It's not that Apple management wants a different kind of future. I think they're actually embracing the unknown fun with Apple Watch. But notice who isn't embracing Apple Watch. There is a segment of the iOS developer community ranging from independent developers all the way to multinational companies that are becoming nervous about Apple Watch because they look at that device and they're not sure how it's going to support the existing app ecosystem. I think this explains why there's a small portion of the Apple community that has been so dismissive of Apple Watch from the start. A recent example of this situation is that we've had news of major companies basically backing away from Apple Watch. They're pulling their support for Apple Watch. And you ask yourself, well, why? And I think it goes back to what we were just saying. For companies with business models based on grabbing our attention, Apple Watch really isn't the best device for doing that. And so when you have news of companies sort of saying, okay, that's it for Apple Watch, we're going to kind of give it a break, notice what happens. You have a portion of this developer community that looks at that news and goes, see, told you, Apple Watch is in trouble. This is not the future. In reality, I think all of that's backwards. The current app ecosystem, not the Apple Watch, is in trouble. While Apple likely sees what the Apple Watch can become, I don't think management is sure of the exact path that would be taken to get there. For example, consider the honeycomb pattern of apps on Apple Watch. I think that's based too much on the present state of technology. The idea of, okay, look at your wrist, Go to your app screen and pick an app. 
I don't think that's really where things are headed here. Another example is how Apple keeps trying to figure out what to do with that Apple Watch side button. Basically, they're trying to capture the genie in the bottle when it comes to how we use apps on the wrist. The reality, which may be harsh, is that I don't think Apple Watch will support the same kind of ecosystem that we are accustomed to with the iPhone and iPad. The Apple Watch ends up being designed for what may come after the App Store. So instead of using a collection of apps on my wrist, where I'm kind of selecting each app icon, I'm relying on the Siri watch face. I'm receiving various cards with glanceable amounts of information and data. And these aren't just any cards. They're chosen for me by a digital assistant. So we're looking at these cards being personalized for me based on the time of day and my own schedule. The implications from this are immense. Because we're moving away from pulling data from various apps or getting pushed all these useless notifications to being pushed a curated feed of data. It's always changing, and it's always tailored to us. Every app developer is going to be impacted by this dynamic. The amazing thing is all of this is occurring in a device that, to a lot of people, seems very friendly. It seems like it's born out of the iPhone era in a way. Given how the Apple Watch is playing such a crucial role in Apple's product vision, one would assume that the product is gaining importance within Apple and gaining priority within Apple. And I think when you look at Apple's product strategy, you do see this growing influence. There is an Apple Watch-centric feel to Apple's recent product strategy. We can look at AirPods. Here we have a pair of truly wireless headphones that work with a lot of different devices, including iPhone. But notice what Apple ends up doing with AirPods. They position them as an Apple Watch accessory more than anything else. There is a great ad that Apple introduced at its most recent product event this past September. It was actually an Apple Watch and Apple Music ad. But when you're watching it, there are all these subtle references to AirPods. I thought it was difficult to actually know, is this an Apple Watch ad or is this an AirPods ad? I'll include a link to the ad in the show notes so you could take a look. I thought it was really well done. It's very catchy. There's other accessories for Apple Watch besides just wireless AirPods. Apple's upcoming stationary speaker, HomePod. I think it's going to turn into a very useful Apple Watch accessory. Apple Watch wearers will get additional music controls on their wrist. Now, we'll see exactly what's possible on day one, but I think it is inevitable that for a lot of Apple Watch wearers, HomePod becomes one of the more crucial Apple Watch accessories for the home. Before Apple revised its HomePod page to reflect the product launching very soon, they had an animated video showing HomePod. And the only Apple product shown in the room other than HomePod was Apple Watch. There was no iPhone, no iPad or Mac. I think it was intentional. 
This brings us to the discussion around vision. When it comes to thinking about a product or feature that may one day serve as a legitimate iPhone alternative, there are two schools of thought. There is a small but extremely passionate group who thinks a paradigm around voice is the answer. So in this voice world, screens and keyboards, they still exist, but their value will have been greatly diminished. Basically, you could think of it as this is sort of a post-device era. So everything from hardware to the app ecosystem that we're familiar with, all of it will be disrupted in a voice-centric world. There's another group, though, who doesn't think it's a good bet to assume screens will lose value in our lives. This group believes that voice may certainly be a useful input mechanism in the future, but screens and the accompanying user manipulation on those screens will remain a valuable way to consume data for the foreseeable future. Products like Apple Watch tell me that Apple does have a vision for how we will use the combination of voice and screens in the future. Unlike Amazon and Google, who are desperately trying to position voice as a way to leapfrog over smartphones, tablets, and apps, Apple is approaching things from a different angle. Apple is embedding on a voice interface that may push some information to a stationary screen that may be in a certain room. Apple's betting on mobile screens, and not just any mobile screens. They're betting on mobile screens that are home to a digital assistant. Apple is placing a bet that consumers will want the familiarity of a touchscreen to transition to a future of greater artificial intelligence and increased dependency on digital assistants. Apple thinks user manipulation via screen, fingers, hands, eyes, will remain a crucial part of the computing experience for the foreseeable future. You can see how that's a very different vision than what we're seeing out of Amazon with its various lineup of Echo devices, with its strategy of getting Alexa in as many third-party products as possible. It's pretty different than what Google's trying to do with Google Home. And I think it's actually pretty different than maybe what even Facebook is trying to do and possibly coming out with a stationary screen, which I think there's a lot of questions around. You could also see why there's such a debate around HomePod, which is a music accessory. Your view or your position on HomePod ultimately comes down to what you think about digital voice assistants. If you think that we should be putting all of our screens sort of away, you're not going to probably like HomePod strategy. And you're going to think that Apple's making a big mistake. Meanwhile, if you are increasingly finding that Apple Watch has a place in your life, if you're looking at things like augmented reality, smart glasses, I think you probably will look at HomePod as more of a true accessory that can be controlled by voice, but that ultimately is all about delivering sound, delivering music, and not necessarily being a Siri speaker 
or being a product that's just about a voice assistant. Given Apple's vision for digital assistants and the role that they have to play in our life, I think Apple has a number of priorities for Apple Watch. With the intention of having that device become a more desirable bridge between the present and future. And I came up with five priorities. The first is independency from iPhone. Over the past few years, whenever someone talks about, well, what are some possible new features that are going to come to Apple Watch? A lot of people say, well, health sensors, more health sensors. In reality, the largest new features that have come to Apple Watch have been related to achieving greater independency. We have GPS in 2016. We have cellular connectivity in 2017. I think the writing has been on the wall since 2014. Apple Watch will eventually become completely independent of iPhone. It was shocking at how quickly Apple launched a cellular Apple Watch just three years after announcing Apple Watch. I think we're going to be surprised at how quickly this Apple Watch independency will be achieved. The second priority has to do with the screen. The most useful and powerful screen in our lives will be the one that is on us. So for most people, I think that screen is currently their smartphone. But in the future, I think Apple Watch and a pair of augmented reality glasses will have a pretty good chance of holding that distinction of being the most powerful screen in our life. The third priority, and this one's a little bit controversial, <laughs> camera. The most useful and powerful camera in our lives would be the one that is on us. Similar to screens, I think for most people, that powerful camera is found in their smartphone. But in a world where we begin to leave iPhone behind, maybe it's just for running that quick errand down the street, going for a run, leave it behind while you do yard work. Well, I think in those scenarios, there is logic found in giving Apple Watch a front-facing camera. You could call it a selfie camera, whatever you want to call it, but it would be a camera that you can easily just sort of turn your wrist and be able to capture your face. I think it's a great place for Face ID. That way we're not having to type passwords on glass. I've certainly received some feedback from people saying, having a camera on your wrist, that sounds really awkward. I can't imagine having to kind of lift my wrist and turn it. And, and I say, well, it's not exactly ideal to grab an iPhone in one hand, lift your arm up, try to position that. Th that's not ideal either. And I think as we go deeper into the wearables era, there's going to be valid questions around where we're going to put cameras. How are we going to capture our face? The fourth priority is superb health monitoring. It is difficult to think of another device that will be on our body as much as Apple Watch, as a device that's meant to be worn on the wrist. According to Apple, the Activity app is the most used Apple Watch app, and I think anyone who uses an Apple Watch probably wouldn't be too surprised with that statistic. There's a number of notifications and reminders that are constantly being delivered to you regarding your activity. 
we'll talk a little bit more about health monitoring in a couple minutes. The fifth priority is to be home to our digital assistant. In my view, creating a device that can both listen to our voice and also provide visual context via screen is a powerful way to quietly place a digital assistant in our lives. This is where I bring up the Siri watch face again. I think that is the embodiment of this intelligent assistant. Apple believes an intelligent assistant that is always on you and that comes with a screen is more powerful than one that is just confined to four walls. When you look at Amazon's urgency to bring its voice assistant to wearables, I think that adds validity to Apple's stance here. There's one big question facing Apple regarding this topic. How does the company plan on taking the app ecosystem that turned iPhone and iPad into juggernauts and use it to push Apple Watch forward and to give Apple an increased competitive advantage when it comes to future wearables like Apple Glasses? In recent months, Apple's product strategy has been receiving a lot of criticism. People look at what Amazon's doing with Alexa, where we're not just talking about putting a digital voice assistant in certain products, but we're talking about almost essentially a voice platform. And then when they look at Apple's strategy for a digital assistant and this reliance on screens, it doesn't seem as clear. It seems more muddied in a way. Ultimately, what I think is going on here is that Amazon's advantage when it comes to Alexa and voice platforms and more of this voice-centric paradigm is quite a bit in perception only. For example, when you listen to the crowd who is very voice-centric, they'll say things like, well, screens and keyboards, they're going to still be around. We're still going to use them. We're just not going to use them as much. And then they move on. They, they move on to the other th- topics. And I say to myself, wait a second. If on one hand you're saying we're still going to need screens, that has major implications for the rest of the argument around how voice is getting to the point of being such a good interface that we can transfer all of our data through voice. And I have a lot of questions around that. In addition, I think a lot of people are starting to undervalue just how powerful screens and cameras are going to become in the future, and specifically putting those screens and cameras on our body. So while I do think that there's a place to use voice as an input, and primarily to use voice as sort of a way to control a digital assistant, I'm not so sure about using voice as a way of consuming data, as a way of receiving data or data output. And said, I think that's where screens come into play. And instead of just sort of being a dumb screen propped up against a wall or on a counter, I think these screens are going to become more dynamic. And that's going to require us to actually continue to interact with these screens. And you can see how this is a huge design topic in which now we're starting to talk about how to use voice as an input, but then use visual context as an output. That's where I think things are headed. And that's one reason why I think Apple Watch is such a bridge between the present state of technology or what we're used to with things like iPhone and iPad, laptops and desktops, with something in the future where 
maybe a lot of people think that future is more like a stationary speaker that's just kind of talking to us. I, I don't necessarily think so. And so I think it's more along the lines of wearables where we have digital assistants that we can control via voice if we want to or via screen in which data transfer still primarily occurs with visual context attached to it. That's where I think things are headed. So how can Apple sort of bottle that up to give the Apple Watch and its wearable strategy more oomph, to, to give it more strategic advantage versus competitors? It appears that Apple's strategy consists of two overarching themes. The first is that Apple is focused on establishing a platform of first-party hardware, software, and services. So for example, if you look at wireless AirPods and Apple Music, I think those will end up being great marketing tools for Apple Watch and vice versa. Once you buy Apple Watch, I think you're going to be that much more likely to buy wireless AirPods and also to buy or subscribe to Apple Music. Now, this doesn't mean that Apple is going to become a services company and be focused on trying to earn revenue through Apple Music subscriptions. Instead, you have a company that's focused on hardware, software, and services, and combining them in such a way that the value found with the three items is more than if you just kind of looked at hardware by itself, software by itself, or services by itself. This same dynamic, I think, is going to play with HomePod, where Apple Music subscribers are going to be that much more interested in a product like HomePod. Meanwhile, in the future, I think you're going to have Apple Watch have controls for HomePod. And that's why I think of HomePod as essentially an Apple Watch accessory. There's another aspect to Apple's strategy here. Apple has invested significantly in getting the health, fitness, and medical industries to embrace Apple Watch. You can look at things like GymKit, which allows Apple Watch to basically work with fitness equipment. There are third-party products that are built just to work with Apple Watch. One example is CardioBand, which takes a clinical-grade EKG on your wrist. You then have all these medical and health devices, and the list is pretty long, that work with Apple Watch. And what you see happening here is research kit, care kit, things like the Apple Heart Study, those items are starting to build Apple's influence in the health and medical industries in a way that I'm not sure a company who doesn't necessarily have hardware expertise will be able to achieve. And when it comes to items like the smart home, where Apple's strategy is, again, increasingly receiving a lot of criticism, my expectation is that Apple's wearable strategy is going to have to play a bigger role here. And we're not just talking about, oh, well, you can control your dishwasher on your wrist with Apple Watch. But instead, what does it mean for home to be smart? If we're having a growing number of items in our home that are smart, how should we interact with those items? Should we be talking to all of them? Should we be saying, oh, hey, turn on that, turn on this, lower that? Or should we do more in the way of scenes? more in the way of automation. How does that impact what's possible via a screen? You can see how there's a lot of design that's coming into play here. How do we use voice in the home? All of these questions that don't really have many answers is one reason why I don't think one battle in the home is going to necessarily be between HomePod 
and Amazon Echo or Google Home. I think it's actually going to be between Apple Watch and stationary speakers. And I know that may not seem too obvious today, and it maybe seems like a stretch to even think that. But ultimately, what I think is going on is that there is sort of this period where we're trying to figure out inputs and outputs. How do we use voice to control things? Where should screens live in our life? Should they remain mobile? Should they become even more mobile by being in our body? All of this is one reason why I think those who are saying that the smart home has been won, I think they're being a little bit premature here. I think we're in the very early innings of the smart home. And so that's why when we see how Apple's approaching the health and medical industries with Apple Watch, combining hardware, software, and services in such a way that that experience entices third parties to get involved, I think there's a potential framework there where Apple can then start to appeal to different industries. When you take a look at the change in tech landscape and where I think the battle lines are going to be redrawn, you're looking at really three buckets, three areas. The body, also known as wearables, transport, and the home. I think with transport, which is, that's a whole other topic, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I think that's still a little bit away. We have a little bit of time. With the home, I do think that's probably the harder one for Apple to really crack, to really excel at, given the dynamic, given a lot of the unknown that we still have in the smart home genre. I continue to think that the only way we truly get smart homes is when companies actually start building their own housing, when Silicon Valley builds housing. Until then, we have homes with a lot of smart devices. And so that's why a lot of this talk around winners and losers, I think, is premature. Meanwhile, with wearables and the body, I think that is Apple's strong point. And I do think you're going to probably see Apple push really, really fast with wearables, health, medical, trying to get that industry hooked. And then what you do is you begin to push Apple Watch in other directions. You begin to push your wearable strategy in other directions and try to sort of capitalize on what, well, everyone's going to have Apple Watches, everyone's going to have our wearables because we have superb health monitoring, because we have the medical industry tied so closely into our ecosystem, you're going to want to use these now in transport. You're going to want to use these devices now in your home. That's sort of how I'm looking at the big picture and one reason why I think the Apple Watch is such a big deal for Apple. Later this year, there will be more than 40 million people wearing an Apple Watch on a daily basis. And I think you're going to start to see this process of competition for our attention moving away from smartphones and tablets. And once that happens, I think it's going to become evident that Apple holds immense power in being the largest wearable software provider in the world. That power will manifest itself in Apple's digital assistant occupying a growing role in hundreds of millions of users' lives. This is ultimately why I think wearables will have a big impact on the trajectory of how we're using stationary smart speakers in the home. For the Apple Watch to be able to be such a futuristic device, to be able to be home to that digital assistant, that powerful digital assistant, I think is going to play a bigger role in our life. But at the same time, contain that familiarity that people want, that people are starting to crave in the form of a touchscreen. Ultimately, I think that's why Apple Watch 
is becoming Apple's bridge to a new world. That's going to do it for today's episode. This past week, I spent a lot of time preparing for Apple's upcoming earnings. We're going to get Apple releasing first quarter 2018 results. That is for the holiday quarter. So it should be very interesting. We're also going to get a first look at how the iPhone 10 sold. Of course, Apple's not going to disclose probably actual sales. Instead, you're going to have to look at iPhone average selling price and sort of back into an estimate. But this past week, I went over my earnings preview. So everything that I'm expecting Apple to report. So I went over iPhone sales estimates, iPad, Apple Watch, Mac, services estimates. I also went over some of the larger line items like overall revenue, EPS, my thoughts on second quarter 2018 guidance, which a lot of people always look at. And of course, the big picture heading into this earnings report. I sent my earnings preview to above Avalon subscribers. There were four emails. That way I could go into each section in greater detail. So if you're already a subscriber, look for those emails in your inbox. If you're not a subscriber and you want to read my earnings preview, all you have to do is become a subscriber. Head over to aboveavalon.com and then go to the subscribe page. I have the sign-up forms. I also have a list of the most commonly asked questions that I get about subscriptions and my answers. So all of that information is available on that page. And of course, if you are a subscriber, once Apple reports earnings, I will then send out my earnings review. So typically, that's two emails. The first email goes over the major themes to Apple's earnings. And then the second email goes over my full notes. So everything that jumped out me about earnings, I put it down. Uh, so earnings is a busy time for Above Avalon and also for Above Avalon subscribers. So if you enjoy these podcast episodes and the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com that are accessible to everyone, I think you would like subscribing to Above Avalon and receiving my exclusive daily updates that are all about Apple. Subscriptions are either $10 per month or $100 per year. Last but certainly not least, if you enjoy the Above Avalon podcast, if you can leave a rating or review for the podcast and Apple's podcast app, I would greatly appreciate it. And one last thing before I sign off, the upcoming podcast schedule is going to get a little bit wonky here because of earnings and there's a couple other things. So I may not necessarily talk to you next week, but I will talk to you shortly thereafter. So with that, I will conclude today's episode and we'll talk to each other later.